The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. You guys, I'm having I'm having some trouble pulling the trigger on a co-host group me instead of our Facebook group. I'm getting the impression that the Facebook group is, if not dead, not very useful anymore. Get with the times, old man. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I feel like as far like as far as people your age, you're definitely ahead of them on do, average on technology adoption. Yeah. So I do my best, and one of the things that I the con, one conclusion that I came to a long time ago is that the older you get, the harder it is to stay. What's the word I'm looking for? Cool. Hip. Hip. With it. You have to expend more and more energy in order to do those things. You used to know what it was. Right. And now I have no idea what it was, but, you know, I just look around me at you guys and go, okay, I get a better idea of what, maybe not Sarah, but I... (laughs) My my experience is I've just, the older I've gotten, I've started to care less what cool is. I mean, if it weren't for, if it weren't for my situation working here at the Carver College of Medicine amidst a bunch of younger people, maybe I wouldn't care. Yeah, if you didn't work here, you would probably regress to the mean. I would definitely be posting on Nextdoor about that noise that I heard last night. Or the one we heard like 10 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, my birdbath got stolen or whatever. I'd probably be, yeah, definitely be. That would be my social network probably, right? No, I refuse. I can't let it happen. <laughs> Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. It's a show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. A production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio are some ultra-famous celebrities of medical education. Can you believe it? She's in a love triangle with her middle school cool S doodle and a slap bracelet. It's M1. (laughs) It's M2, Nicole Hines. Sup, nerds? He has a controversial skincare routine. He spends a fortune on facials made of beard trimmings and sun-baked mayonnaise. It's M4, Alex Belzer. A sensational shocker. She fled the altar in a hot air balloon. It's M4, Sarah Costello. Hello. Can I get upgraded to M3? So I was going to ask you if you're upgrading to M3. I'm very excited to know that you are. Okay, cool. I'll take that out. She's an M3. M3, Nicole Hines. I'll just move that. (laughs) Congratulations. But you're, I, are you doing a PATH externship? Yeah, but I'm going to call myself an M3 for the year. Oh, I don't... Okay, is that official? I don't... Why wouldn't it be? I don't know. It's definitely allowed, I'm sure. Yeah. Once I finished you, half a core year. Once you finish M2, you're an M3. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Good. Awesome. You're an M3. I hope it's... I, yes. If next time I forget, it's because I looked you up and they didn't change you, and so it's not my fault. When I started Optho, they had me as an M1. <laughs> <laughs> they were really confused how I was there. They were probably really nice to you, though. They let like you stay. Really easy on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Impressed the, uh, with your knowledge. 
you could do the MDPHD thing. You could be like M3E for extern. I already have a B behind mine. Yeah, that's temporary though. Hmm? After you're done with that, you won't have the B anymore. It's cool. I'm sorry. Would you like to keep the B? All you have to do is keep extending. No, I just like, I like being special. (laughs) It's been a while since we got a listener question. Listeners, can't say I prove of the length of time since I got a listener question because I love listener questions. It means that I don't have to do work to make this show happen. And, And instead, you can provide me with ideas and discussion topics. But I did get a listener question from somebody who did not leave their name. So I'm calling her Patella AFib. Uh, what you want, Patella? Hey, I'm prepping for med school applications, and I'm wondering how many hours I need to clock in with direct patient contact. Does the number of hours change a lot from one school to another, or is there a ballpark figure that works for most? Are some patient experiences worth more in the eyes of the admissions people? And is it better to pile up hours, even if it's not super hands-on, or go for fewer hours but more intense patient interaction? Oh, and what are some good ways to rack up these hours? Thanks. Thank you for your question, Patella. What do you guys think? Do you guys remember how many hours you accumulated how before you before you when you were applying? Did they even ask? They they do ask. Well, they did ask. I don't know. Amcast has changed recently. I think. I don't know if it's changed to take that out, but yeah. they asked when I applied. And I remember surprisingly, since it was over four years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was that number? I think I had six sixteen hours of shadowing and then a hundred hours of volunteering okay which not all of the volunteering was hands-on patient experience probably 50 percent of it you don't remember nicole i have no clue i'll park it for me come on i mean i was working as a research assistant on a clinical trial at the time okay so So i have i have no clue what i was estimating at that point yes a lot of people i think get their hours through things that they're already doing, right? I think I had 400 clinical working hours because I was a CNA. Uh-huh. And I had like 100 of volunteering and then zero shadowing, which I thought like from what I had read was like standard or like average-ish. Where did you read know. that though? On the most neurotic place on the internet. Uh, you know. I you know, know which one that is. Mr. R-E-D-D-I-T. We all know what that is. <laughs> Do you remember schools saying anything about what they wanted? I don't remember schools having like specific guidelines, but I didn't apply to like tons and tons of schools because I really wanted to be here at Iowa. Yeah, I know for like PA programs, there's a lot more laid out hours. I know they they want like it feels like a thousand hours, but Mm -hmm. who knows if that's if that's actually true. I don't remember. But it's like a lot of hours. Because mm-hmm. at my undergrad, there's a PA program and the person who coordinated shadowing for pre-med students, I always felt like I was competing with the PA students because they required the hours. And for us, it was a little more optional. Um, Sarah, didn't you say that you were sort of sent back to the drawing board? Yeah, I feel like I can't remember who told me, but I feel like I had like, 12 and a half hours of shadowing and someone said that I needed 16. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I I went to our admission staff and I said, what do you, you know, what do you think of this question? And yeah, there aren't, I don't think most schools have a number of hours that they're going to specify, which is in good and bad. I mean, in, I guess everybody would prefer to have a number to shoot for so that they could check it off their list. 
and know, okay, I did that requirement. I got it done. But you're going to have to you're going to have to make yourself comfortable with ambiguity in this life. And that's one area where it's ambiguous. But I will say that they want you to be able to talk about your experiences in a meaningful way. They want some assurance that you observed what this is, you know, what this whole endeavor is like, that you understand some things about what you're getting into. They want to know what you learned, how you grew, all that kind of stuff. So there's no number, but that's the goal. I do remember I definitely got asked a question about it during my interviews, sort of asked to reflect on my volunteering experiences and stuff. Yeah. It is good. It's, yeah, good to have a good experience to talk about. I think there is something important to what Dave just said. And was Sarah mentioning that it's in interviews? And that's finding something that you're excited about when you talk about it or finding a part of the experience that you can really carry forward whether it's you shadowed someone and you absolutely don't want to follow in their footsteps with the way they handled patients i had some of that yeah, that's a cool with way my that, shadowing that would actually be i suspect that being able to say something like that would actually be kind of interesting for it for an interview mm-hmm. to talk about rather than the i just i confirm that i wanted to help people Mm -hmm. chaotic good revenge arc (laughs) (laughs) exactly i also part of my volunteer work was a pilot program at a hospital where right before mealtime i would bring in just like a warm wet rag for patients to clean up a little bit just to see if that i don't know improved i don't know what outcomes but i was able to talk about how i felt like it was bringing back some humanity into the medicine and just how that little thing offering the help can make a difference and so that's fascinating because it's it sounds like you're making a joke (laughs) i was part of some research to figure out how a warm wet wet rag would help it's so simple (laughs) (laughs) but i think it's not just about racking up hours i think this is a quality over quantity type thing absolutely yeah i agree i think for me it like kind of my experiences that I pulled from my hours of experience, like percolated into the rest of my application. I felt like just getting that experience and kind of figuring out what the healthcare system was like a little bit, talking to some patients, maybe not doing anything super high impact, but I did get like a couple of good stories of patients that I talked to and connected with and adcoms love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are yeah. very important in all... You're going to apply to many jobs in your life. Well, you're going to apply to jobs in your life. And if there's one thing that people like, it's stories. So if you can tell them a story about what you experienced or what you learned or what you found out or all this kind of stuff, they're going to they're going to eat that shit up because, you know, it's kind of like you, you always hear the guidance of like show, don't tell. And the best way to show is with a story. So I'm down with that. There's like no better way to demonstrate your humanity than like by talking about a connection you made with someone. Yeah. Do you think that all medical school admissions value that showing of humanity in the same way that maybe our school does? I only interviewed here, so I don't really know. (laughs) I also only interviewed here. Snap. Oh, no. We have a very small sample size. (laughs) Well, we have a no sample size. I only interviewed here. And I've interviewed nowhere. My entire experience with admissions is here. Um, You bias. I don't know. Like, I don't. I really think that I really want to believe that 
it's true everywhere, but you're right. Maybe it's not true everywhere. But I know that, I think it's safe to say that uh, adcoms will be less likely to look at you as, uh, as having checked off a box on their application. I don't think they really want that. I think they want to know that you're going to do well and that you understand what it is you're getting into. That's the whole purpose of this. It's not because they came up with some arbitrary number or some arbitrary idea that you should do this. It's because this is how they figure out what you really want to do. Or this is how they figure out that you know what you really want to do. Yeah, I don't think... I've never heard of any adcom using like clinical hours or something as a quantitative metric. Yeah, like, like, as a, like as an a screening score, tool or something like that. Yeah, no, I've never heard of that. I think what you know, one one piece of advice that I just thought of, you guys can react. Ready? Journal. <gasps> during your Sorry, <laughs> That's a good reaction. Journal during your during your experiences. I think you'll find that and you know, it doesn't have to be like, dear diary. This is a required self-reflection. Dear, yes, dear diary. Today, <laughs> okay, that may be good preparation for med school. <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about like at the end of the day, sit down and make a list. It doesn't have to be like, you know, super well-written or anything like that. A just log. so that you can go back. Yeah, some sort of log. Just so you can go back and remember when the time comes and you're sitting down with and you're going to sit down with, you know, an interview for an interview. You have a list of things that you could talk about. I think that will help a lot to to get the actual intended use out of this thing. I think that's a wonderful idea. Thank you. I react favorably. <laughs> you guys are very exciting today. Let's pump up the energy. Yeah, I want some energy. I think they also want to know that you can work as a team or as part of a team. And I think they want you to understand why you need to be able to explain why you understand that this is the right career path for you. And by right career path, I mean not just medicine, but physician specifically. So like, you know, why not be a PA? Why not be a nurse? Why not be a medical assistant? Why not be any number of things that, you know, help people? Plumber. Yeah. Plumbers help people. I love plumbers expensive but they come and fix my shit yeah <laughs> they come and fix my toilet so i appreciate that i think the doctor is more likely to come fix your shit <laughs> <laughs> um specifically what do i know some of you a couple of you talked about what you did specifically what activities did you engage in nicole Oh, let's see. There was there were a handful of things i i did shadowing i shadowed a, a few physicians both in the town where I did undergrad and then I had some other connections where I was able to go and branch out and yep. go other places. I did that pilot project with the warm rags. rags project. <laughs> I had the, the research protocol. the research I was doing in my gap year and the direct patient contact was limited to when the clinical visits were actually happening, but sure. you know, it's still part of the process. And I feel like there is more somewhere in there, but I'm not recalling it at the moment. And you you had somewhat limited hours. And we should say that Sarah has a life outside of medicine as a mom. Mom of three, yeah. Mother of three and a, and a, I mean, you've got things to do outside of it. So I think, 
my guess is that at least we were like, you know, okay, she's got a lot to do. I did also have six years of experience working in the clinical microbiology labs so no patient contact, but a lot of sort of in the background mm-hmm. clinical experience working in the hospital. So I think that helped a lot too. Sure. But I did my volunteering in the NICU and got to cuddle the babies, which mm-hmm. is great. Sing them songs and read them stories. That was my patient experience during volunteering. Nice. <laughs> I feel like they don't even let med students touch the babies. <laughs> I remembered what I was forgetting. What's that? I, I trained to be a CNA and then never worked as a CNA. Oh, nice. sure. And I did just a few hours of hospice volunteering. Okay. What were the stories you mentioned? Do you remember, Alex? The stories? Yeah. Give me one story. Oh, yeah. No, I had... Okay, so there's this patient... So I was... A little bit of background here. So I was a nursing assistant on a bone marrow transplant unit and so there were a lot a lot of long stay patients there who were getting bone marrow transplants or long-term management for neutropenia stuff like that long treatment courses where they had to be hospitalized and we had a patient who was blind and she was on the unit for like nine months Mm. and she was starting to get delirious at times and it seemed sundowning a little bit yeah and I think she had graft versus host disease as well from her bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of diarrhea. So we had a lot of contact because I was the nursing assistant because you're pretty much your number one job. Professional task is, butt wiper. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was her professional butt wiper. And I feel like because I, I worked pretty consistently over the six months that she was there before she died, unfortunately. But I don't know. I felt like we connected really well and I was able to like figure out her needs and the the continuity of care that I developed with her over that experience yeah. uh, reaffirmed my my want to have continuity of care with patients I don't know I don't remember all the details I actually wrote about it in my personal statement so for that was a long time ago yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about this patient in a while but yeah yeah interesting one I think there's a lot of firsts that you can get out of the way before you start med school with your patient interactions that like some things that might mentally take energy to deal with, like your first patient death that you deal with. Like that's just one example. I I just had my first one this last week. And so for Alex having that before med school, it's something that he's a little more familiar with. It, they're all going to hit in their own ways. But I mean, six months of dealing with a patient, you you really learn to get comfortable going into patients' rooms and, you know, treating all your patients like people instead of just a chart. And those are things that aren't always the easiest to learn in medical school. Yeah, the only continuity of care I get with my patients is chart stalking them on my epic list. That's it. <laughs> like, just a brief summary that it can be research, it can be volunteering, it can be a job it can be shadowing there are so many ways to have patient contact to observe the team to be a part of the team and just kind of figuring out what you want and what's going to be the most beneficial to you is the route you should go i wonder if i think maybe one good thing to do would be you know after each experience that you have Ask somebody around you in that experience to say, what do you think I should do next? What would you, what would, what experience do you think I should, you know, 
I do you think I should have? Especially if you're working with a physician or, you know, you're shadowing a physician or somebody like that. You may not end up using that idea, but it might lead to other ideas, too, because I know people are always casting about for, oh, well, what, you know, what am I going to do? What, what activities are best? Blah, 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 blah. There's no answer to that question. There's no good answer to that question. The activities are the, that are best are the ones that are going to lead you to a better understanding of what it is you're trying to become. So you might need help figuring out what the next thing to do is. N equals one here, but my research mentor in undergrad, I did research in a basic chemistry lab because that was my major. And I was like working with this electrochemist and she loved me. She loved me. We got together really well, got along together. Really. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Freudian we got along. I, what is <laughs> we, got, that? we got along really well. We got along really well. I'm going to stop saying that now. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and she was like adamant that I shouldn't go to med school. Yeah. She was like, oh, your, you should, your, your talents would be better used with the PhD. I was oh, like, man, people say that all like, the time. I don't want to go to med school, though. And people don't stop saying that once you're in med school. Mm-hmm. Are you, you going well. into radiology? You're wasting your brain. You would be so much better in medicine. Yeah, yeah I've heard that one. Exactly. Never go ob You should never go ob <laughs> Okay. Please, God, don't come back. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Sounds good, boss. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I know it's a thing out there that people are always being counseled like, oh, you should definitely not do this or you should definitely only do this because you have the right brain or you have the right mindset or that may be true, but it's not great. It's not great advice. Don't do something. Although maybe somebody telling you that you should do something makes you like consider possibly doing something and then realizing that it's wrong. Yeah. Which could be useful. Okay. Could but be useful. There's a difference between telling somebody to consider doing something and to consider not doing something. And I think it's the considering not doing something that I find more problematic than yeah. saying, hey, I think you would be a good fit for this field. I think if someone told me not to do it, I'd be more likely to consider it in rebellion. Reverse psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the advice not to go into medical school, like don't go into medical school, that advice comes from physicians and physician parents and things like that. Um, They might be like joking. They make it seem like they're joking, but you can see that like look at fear in there. There's a little truth to that. Yeah. I had a resident last week talking about, oh, if I could do it all again, I would do this specialty. You know, maybe you should just drop out of med school. Maybe that would be for the best. You could not like, not because I was doing poorly or he thought I wasn't a good fit for medicine just because of his own tangent. He was on. (laughs) Yeah. The response is, well, you could still do that. There's nothing that will prevent you from going back through the match. Go for it. Go for it. Maybe I'll try that one sometime and not ask for evaluation. You were never too old to change your career choice. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a little it's a little daunting to think about i think to go back to residency but i've known people who've done it so i know somebody who's internal medicine and went back to radiology no there's a currently a derm resident here who did i am first yeah and there's an ortho resident who was in em first yeah it happens all the more reason to try to do what you can to find the best fit as much as possible and not to think of these things as like i gotta do them because you know the dean said i had to do it i have to do you know i'm never gonna do surgery but i have to do this surgery clerkship you never know i think you're you know you're always gonna learn something even in those clerkships like i 
did not want it. I knew I didn't want to do surgery, but you still learn something. You still learn about being in a team. You learn about, you know, performing under pressure, under scrutiny. <laughs> like, yeah, this, if you go into it with like an attitude that there's something to learn, you'll enjoy it. If- and you can be open with that too. Like, you can be like, yeah, look, I'm not all that interested in surgery, but what I am interested in is how, is how surgery, I don't know, will be a part of my patients lives someday for me as like someone who wants to go into family medicine like i there's all likelihood that i'm going to be getting post-op patients that might not be able to get back to the surgeon to get their drains removed like that's something i can do as a family medicine doc is pull out a drain or you know yeah follow up down the line just to know sort of what they've been through just because you know as a family medicine doctor I want to take care of the whole person and the whole patient so it's definitely useful to have an understanding of what they've been through with their surgeries yeah your patients are gonna see all kinds of doctors in their lives so everybody's care is multidisciplinary yeah so you know take those clerkships as they are intended which is to help you understand the bigger picture than just the tiny portion of medicine that you're going to eventually go into. And, you know, I've heard people have the advice like, oh, I would never tell, I wouldn't tell people in this clerkship that I'm not interested in this clerkship because I want to get the best eval I can possibly get. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I think it's better to just be like, yeah, I'm not going to go into OB, but I'm certainly going to run across patients who need an OB and it would be fantastic if I could learn as mm-hmm. much as possible about this so that someday I can be a part of that conversation. Well, and they're not stupid. They'll sniff out a fraud like that. Yeah. And it also, it can be in your favor to say, I'm really not interested in this field. This is what I'm interested in. They'll either help you find things that are relevant to that. Or if you have a good work ethic and you're there every day doing what you need to be doing, They'll be like, hey, they don't want to do this for their whole life, but they're still here. Yeah. They're still trying. And they'll and, appreciate that. Yeah. If you're worried about mm-hmm. them being like, oh, well, I don't know, like, I'm not going to evaluate them well because they don't want my to be in my profession. I don't think that's how it works at all. I think it's more likely that they will appreciate your honesty. Also, it helps them to, it really helps them to focus their teaching and it makes it I think it makes probably makes things a little bit easier if they know what they're teaching to rather than, you know, trying to figure out what it is you really need or want. Absolutely. Well, and I think I kind of wore my interests on my sleeve through clerkships. Mm-hmm. And I think on like three or four occasions, I got evals that were like, hey, great to have you. I know you're interested in I am or whatever I was interested in at the time. But like you ever want to learn anything else or want to do an elective like or just switch to us like we'd love to have you yeah i think what people appreciate is positive i think people what people appreciate is interest they don't necessarily appreciate that you want to be like them so that's really where your focus should lie and then bringing it back to you know the pre-med school experiences that's also where you should probably focus your attention on it is like you know i have this unique opportunity that most people don't have most people are not going to shadow a physician. Most people are not going to, you know, I don't know, volunteer at a hospital. What is it? How can I participate as fully as possible so that I get as much as possible out of this? Because as you said, Alex, people can smell a check, a box checker. Yeah. 
Also, and it just seems like a waste of time to mm-hmm. that person if that's the attitude you're bringing to it. Right. I also think sort of related to that, I've met pre-meds who like to box themselves in. Like they already know what specialty they're going to go into. Yeah. Don't be that pre-med. Yeah. Don't be the pe- pe- the pre-med that wants to be a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon, <laughs> neuro-oncologist. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, come into it with an open mind. Yeah, they appreciate your openness and your interest Yeah, because they're kind of intertwined. And okay, so even if you can't muster that openness, be really careful. <laughs> be really careful about, you know, pigeonholing yourself publicly. You know, like d- never give the impression that you're wasting your time on this clerkship or you're wasting your time with this activity because that won't end well for you. <laughs> yeah, don't be arrogant about it. Whenever I think about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can come in and say, oh, I want to do X, Y, or Z when I'm in a rotation for A. I remind myself, like, we're paying to be here, and this is an experience I'm never going to have again. If I go into one of those fields, I'm never going to be on the team in this specialty, and I want to make the most out of every opportunity. Now, that probably keeps me from taking a day off here and there, and I should do that. You should do that, but... These are valuable opportunities that, in a sense, are once in a lifetime. Yeah, for sure. So, Patella, thank you for your question. Everybody else who wants to ask questions, hey, you can ask us any question you want. It doesn't have to be about med school. It doesn't have to be about medicine. It doesn't have to be about any of that. You could ask us for relationship advice. You could ask us about parenting. I'm a parent. Sarah's a parent. I'm just begging for questions. Okay. Ask Dave questions. Ask us questions. And I'm always prepared to give really shitty answers. Yeah. Things, so we give shitty. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I have a treat for you guys. I forgot about. <gasps> Stay here. Am I allowed to move? Get Dave on the run. Down the hall. Down the hall. All right. He said I got, burbles. I got, I got one in five odds. It's puppies. Oh, that'd be so cool. Two in five odds. It's cookies. <laughs> Cookies. Do you say cookies? Cookies, yeah. Yeah, a puppy named Cookies. Mm, Can't eat a puppy. One in five odds, it's gummy bears. Wait, what? What did you say? You can't eat a puppy. Oh. (laughs) I I don't don't know why I had such a visceral reaction. (laughs) Nick Lee. I really want some parenting questions. Can I write in some parenting questions for you? Go for it. Okay. I'll write a question. I truly don't know anything about parenting. That's actually so. about my cat, but I'll ask for parenting advice for the I have cat. A cat too. He's I'm a cat. the terrible twos. So I'll pretend I'm asking about a toddler. It's probably quite the same. My cat continues. We have my, child locks for him. So yeah. My baby continues to attack plates of food. Knock them Spill all the floor. beans. Sp- yeah. Beans is spilling the beans <laughs> on my stairs. That happened when Alex was over. Yeah, there were beans is everywhere. It, is your cat called Beans? Bean. Aww. Singular, yeah. And so I make sweaters for him sometimes. And so there's one that's like black and yellow striped, and I call it his Bumblebean. And I made one for Halloween. My three-year-old has a bumblebee costume, too, so we should get him together for some pitches. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, special treat. Pickle ice. Ooh. Oh, can I take it home for my kids, or is it going to melt? They love pickles. Well, you can refreeze them. Okay. But you also need to eat one. Okay. Because I don't... Oh. oh. Yeah, I've seen Just these out frozen on Frozen pickle the... juice? I've seen these out on the Ultra Circuit. Oh my gosh, I totally need these. The Ultra Circuit? Yeah. This is an exercise thing. 
So like a foreign thing that I would never know about. Yeah, exactly. No, the these have been in the OSAC fridge for ages. I can't understand why. Literally, my kids would destroy these popsicles that are pickles. So, fun fact. So there's this thought that pickle juice has anti-cramping effects. And it does. It, it's held up in experiments that pickles juice has anti-cramping effects. But they've also compared, like, a different liquid with the same, like salt like like sodium and potassium and calcium ratios yeah and pickle juice is better than that oh yeah so there's something about something esoteric about pickle pickle juice juice. that makes you not want to cramp it's magical what it's magical i don't know because i've made pickles and it's just vinegar and salt right and cucumbers pickles cucumber future pickles how do we feel about pickle ice pickle ices? Straight up gas, Dave. Gas. The shit slaps. I think it's good. I'm I don't know how I it. I don't know if I could eat a whole one. I don't know either. It's a palate cleanser for your warm summer days. Palate cleanser from hell. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly refreshing. That was a big bite I just took. I might regret that. Well, maybe you'll want these more. A dilly bar. I think that might be more to your liking. What's the dillio? You know what a dilly bar? It's just chocolate. It's just a pop, uh, ice cream pop. I was just making a pun. I tried the vegan ones the other day, and the vegan dilly bars—they're very good. Are you a vegan or vegetarian? No, but my my dad and his wife were coming to visit. And they're both vegan, so we wanted to try them out. Oh, vegan oh. dad should be a band. Vegan what? Vegan vegan dads or vegan dad. What? <laughs> I don't know. My band's name is Part Time Vegan. My, That's true. My vegan dad is <laughs> <Yeah>. in a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're called the Strange Valentines. Plug for there. Yo, that's a really good band name. Yeah, they play my folk vegan music. Dad. My vegan dad. My vegan dad. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> what are med students like? What goes on in their heads? Where who do they think they are? Well, in order to illuminate that for you listeners, I am going to ask these guys some would you rather questions, just like Socrates. Is this what the Socratic method yeah. is? Isn't it? Yeah, Socrates limited himself questions. to binary options. Yeah. That's how all the best learning is done with would you rather questions. Would you rather have the ability to heal others by blowing bubbles at them, but every bubble burst leaves you with a terrible headache, or be able to eliminate pain by laughing, but you must laugh for an hour straight to have a lasting effect? Laughing, yeah. An hour straight of laughing? Is it a migraine or a headache? It's just an excuse. It's a terrible headache. Like every day. How long did the headache last? Does Exeteran cut the headache? This is what a med student does, actually. Every time I've done Would You Rather on this show, people are like looking for an out. What? Well, I'm just trying to clarify this headache because you know if it's not a migraine, you know, you probably. What's the difference between a migraine and a terrible headache? I think terrible is a clinical syndrome. Yeah, like <laughs> what happens with onset, the length that lasts. We said it. Do you say headache for an hour, or is that the laughing for an hour? Laughing for an hour. Probably the go with the headache so that I have an excuse to go lay down in a dark room. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever excuse you can get to go lie down in a dark room that's 
hey radiology i just healed some people i need a i need my rest <laughs> all right let's, let's try this one then would you rather have the ability to regenerate any body part but have to eat a whole jar of pickled eyeballs to do so or be immune to all diseases but have to bathe in a tub of expired yogurt once a month that one the second one yeah i don't know follow-up question yeah do we get to create new body parts or just rejuvenate Deceased oh, because like, this is zero sum game. So like you're like, I feel the need for an additional buttock. So I'm yeah, definitely definitely buttock. <laughs> Spider girl. So I'm going to eat a jar of pickled eyeballs. Uh, yeah, I would do that. How expired is the yogurt? Because if it's just past its expiration date, it's probably good. Yeah. Yogurt is remarkably stable. Dave didn't clarify, so I'm going to say one day past. Yeah, I'd do that every month. Or it could be, you know, chunky and smelly. and. It has to have... Okay, I'm going to put an additional stipulation on it. It has to have a bit of mold. It's got some... I mean, doesn't it... A bit of mold? A bit of on mold. A, in, a it has tub, to be ex- in a tub worth... Expired enough to have acquired to have acquired a bit of mold. Yeah, I'll still go with it. Okay. Still going with eyeballs. Okay. Probably eyeballs. You just have to do that once, right? Odd, odd lady out twice. It would be kind of freeing to know that you could do pretty much anything you want, lose a limb as a result. And all you got to do is, I mean, rehab has to be at least as bad. Rehab following an amputation has to be at least as bad as eating a jar of pickled eyeballs, right? Yeah, but do you still get pain? Like, just because you can regrow it, I imagine that'd be pretty painful. Yeah. I suppose. And regrowing takes time. Yeah, so we see Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> there was a study done in the 1930s where they took, I believe it was Tritius salamanders. Uh-huh. And they took a piece of its sciatic nerve and then they implanted it on the back of the salamander and it grew into a new limb. Sweet. There's actually a tumor named after it. Oh. Triton tumor. Salamanders are cool. Yeah. Fascinating. Would you rather have the ability to heal any wound instantly by licking it, but you must taste the injury, <laughs> or have the power to cure have the power to cure any illness by dancing, but you must dance for twenty four hours? Sorry. Licking, definitely. You'd like, yep. Not your own wounds. You said any care. wound you want to heal. So I don't know if I said that. I feel like. Would you rather have the ability to heal any wound instantly by licking it? Maybe my brain just wanted to hear the word want then. Yeah. Want has nothing to do with it. You're an emergency physician. You're an emergency physician. There's some pretty nasty wounds out and, there. And people come in all the time and you're like, I can fix this. I have the ability. The un- <laughs> But are you immune from like, if you lick someone's like bacteria infested wound, are you going to get sick? That's my question. Maybe. <clears throat> I can stomach the taste, but I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want it. Yeah. 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 Let's just, for the sake of this question, we'll just say that obviously infected wounds are off the table. Okay. Because that's just. Any wound? Anyone that's. Well, all the nasty ones are infected, so I would definitely go with the licking. Like, if you're an emergency department physician, I imagine most of the wounds you use, you'll probably see some infected wounds, right? But. Let me lick your fracture all better. Yeah. 
I'm in. You'd Let be, me in. I'm in. You'd be known as the miracle worker. Splinting and casting. That's the old. That's days. the old way. That's what we do now. That's not the way we do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the looking then. But think of how fit you would be dancing 24 hours. I couldn't do it. I'll just put it this way. I could already dance for 24 hours and get really fit. But I can tell you that based on my life experience and my proclivities, I'm not going to dance 24 hours. You got a fat tongue, though. (laughs) What? Uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) What does that even mean? I'm saying Dave's got propensity to... He's got a predisposition to pick pick the lick. (laughs) Pick the lick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'd probably go with lick. Yeah. Would you rather have to use a stethoscope made of live snakes to diagnose heart and lung conditions or use a syringe made of a live scorpion's tail for administering injections? Snakes. Yeah, probably the snakes. Probably the scorpion. As long as they're not poisonous snakes. If they're just the constricty ones that, like, give you a hug around I don't understand why people have a hard time with snakes they used to have pet snakes yeah they're quite friendly because they feel gross they don't feel like so we were in last week two weeks ago I was in Plymouth Massachusetts with my wife and my mom and there was a guy with three snakes on the street just like letting people hang out with his and they were constrictors and I felt them they just feel smooth I was going to say they feel gross because like any other animal, like pet that you pick up and hold, they will occasionally poop on you. That's the grossest bit. Yeah. That's true of any animal, right? (laughs) Plus, have you ever swam in the ocean or a lake? Yeah. Everything in that poops in it. (laughs) It's not about the poop. It's a sensory thing. Uh There's just something about it that makes my skin crawl touching them. I don't want to invalidate your experience i've touched a snake before yeah i've gotten over that yeah. so i don't want to invalidate your experience but i'll take the scorpion still but that's f-ing stupid no I- <laughs> 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 yeah you'd have to pu- you'd have to i'm trying to imagine this stethoscope made of live snakes also you guys are going to put a snake in your ear how are you going to hear how else am i going to get the wax out it's going to wrap around your head Look at the long Over your ears. Well, this way, out. maybe. Yeah. You all make excellent <laughs> points. Also, I don't even need the stethoscope. I could just percuss. True. So you could leave your yeah. could leave your snake. You percuss the heart. Put the ear up close. It'll work. The diagnostic utility of a stethoscope is actually quite limited. Explain. That's fair. It's just, like, not very sensitive or specific for conditions. There's a lot of interoperator uh, decreased reliability. I keep waiting for ultrasound to become... Like, I think it's, it's becoming more and more, like... Kind of already there. Useful, but... Pocus, baby. Yeah, pocus. Butterfly. I don't know what that they're means. Even like, they're even giving, like, pocket ultrasounds to some med stu- to new med students at some schools. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And there's like they're formalizing ultrasound training in like especially in the critical care fellowship, but also they're kind of translating it to the internal medicine fellowship as well. Mm-hmm. Or family medicine as well. as well, I think they're doing it. I feel like I've been hearing about ultrasound for years. 
but yeah, we, sorry, you're not going to get it. I don't. I, at least currently, you're not going to get an ultrasound machine when you when you arrive here at the Carver College of Medicine. I don't know. I heard that we had some. I mean, there's a program to t- teach ultrasound. Yeah, I'm okay. not like yeah if, that we have some. Not that we had some that we give out to yes, the students. Yes, we have, have access. We have some. some that we use for teaching, which is cool. If I had an ultrasound machine, I'd be using that shit all the time. That would be so fun. I think. Oh, yeah. I imagine. I agree. I'd be using that on my own my own bits all the time. <laughs> Not those bits, Nicole. <laughs> I'm just using the word bits. General. It's a choice. General bits. I would be totally like looking at my sinuses, you know. My kids would destroy it in seconds. <laughs> Would you rather have a third arm that can perform surgeries with extreme precision but have it constantly attached to your forehead or have the ability to heal people with a touch but only while you're wearing a full-body chicken costume? Touch. Chicken costume, hands Mm -hmm. down, no doubt. Okay. Why? (laughs) I would wear a chicken costume regardless if I could heal people. (laughs) (laughs) I just want an excuse to wear one in public in professional settings. Yeah. Wait, follow-up question. Do I get professionalism points, Doc, for wearing the chicken costume in clinic? No. All right, chicken costume. There's a strong, there's a strong tradition of people dressing goofy in clinic to to alleviate patient. That's the word I'm looking for. Distress. Distress, right? Especially in peds, kids love that. Okay, chicken costume. I'm still thinking about this forehead arm. Yeah, forehead arm. I've asked this particular question before on the show, so. Definitely reusing content. I've just realized. I'm gonna get a a tattoo sleeve on my forehead arm. That's super great at surgery. Oh, (laughs) just deck it out like a real one, not like a not like one of them. uh, Not one of those fake ones. T-shirt sleeve things. No. Oh yeah, for sure. But just on that, the rest of your body would be pure, not (laughs) tattooed, unsullied by tattoos. Yes, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the arm. I would definitely do the chicken costume. You really are an outlier today. Yeah, I'm weird. You're not a follower. I'm something. These guys, are, these guys are sheep. You're a, a trailblazer. A trailblazer of weirdness. You guys are cheap. I don't want to, again, I don't want to invalidate people's. Alex is over there bleeding. Oh, oh. bleating. <laughs> I thought you said bleeding. Yeah, I don't enunciate I like, well. Am I bleeding right now? <laughs> Well, that's our show. AJ. No, not AJ. That's our show. Alex, Sarah, Nicole, thanks for being on the show with me today. Thanks, Dave. I love you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for the pickles. And what kind of celebrity shocker would it be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the besters get you down. Talk to you in one week. Bye. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education. Life in America, life in the world is often difficult, and I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but 
In my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Short Code Podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.